0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You know, I've been doing this show for a long time now, and every show is just its own remarkable feat of execution and showcasing of humanity. But every now and then, I'm greeted with an opportunity to meet somebody truly unique. So we're going to rural Alabama to talk about a gentleman named Kermit Farmer, whose wife, a Korean immigrant, Dr. Linda Farmer, An oncologist was diagnosed with cancer and passed away, leaving behind her husband, Kermit, and their son. They were married for 19 years, and this man is doing extraordinary work in her name, in her honor, in her spirit to give back to that local community and more. The word genuine doesn't do it justice to his absolute unbridled innocence and authenticity and passion. And before we get started, I'll leave you with a quote you're gonna hear in our conversation. There is no elevator to healing. We all have to take the stairs. My friends, I give you Kermit Farmer. Enjoy the show. Kermit, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you much for, for having me on. This will, this will be a first experience for me, so I'm looking forward to it.
1: Well, it's all downhill, trust me.
0: Thank you for saying it's all downhill, so yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're welcome for that. Now, look, I, I've done my reconnaissance, and you know, you're hard to find on the internet, but the parts that are there are really strong and very impressive. And uh, you're a real man of the people. I, I've, I've read a bunch of stuff about you. I've watched your videos, the way people describe you. Like... I feel like you're the embodiment of grassroots. This is all about the people on the ground to try and live their lives, and all this noise is a bunch of shit.
0: I will try to live up to those high thoughts and and remarks, Matthew.
1: Now I looked at your history. You've been a man of the community for a very long time now. Is this like born of your condition?
0: I would say that, a, a lot of times, the boots on the ground don't get the needed support to do the things that they need to do. And I think we need to arm organ, the people of any organization, need to be armed with all the resources available to accomplish the mission that needs to be done. I'm not that familiar with the healthcare space from me personally, but I was married to it for 19 and three quarters years. And that's my entryway into the healthcare. Community,
1: yeah, we f- refer to that as when healthcare lands on you. Mm. Okay, I like that because <laughs> no one asks for this to happen. It's not like retail where you want to buy a pair of sneakers, whatnot, you know. And then you, you know, you are in a caregiver role, and that's also a completely underrecognized opportunity to support people in the world in the country, especially through cancer, which your wife had, and you are caregivers for each other, just being a married couple. that's hard enough when you're well Mm -hmm.
0: In, in our situation what we had was was just a really beautiful relationship in so many different ways i was the antagonist of of our relationship i was the one that flew closest to the sun and my wife was the one that that grinded through the day and grinded through all that she did and the dynamics of two very different personalities it it just worked and we didn't you know, lucky to say we didn't have the, the fights or the stresses or the angst that uh, we've seen, you know, some of our friends have through the years, through the decades. And, you know, then we're, we're struck with this bad news of my wife getting cancer and how she's given that talk to so many people. And I've never watched her give the talk. And for the first time I watched her give the talk and she, and she gave it to my son of, hey, your mom has cancer. And the grace and the beauty that she did that with, and, and it happened to be her last, you know, time that she ever gave the talk. It was it it, it, it was just a beautiful thing. It really was. So um, we 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 were so strong beforehand, but we grew even closer through the process.
1: Yeah, I've done a lot of shows. I've met a lot of doctors who worked in oncology and then happened to become patients of their own universe and. It's an odd other side of the fence to experience. And of course, when you are married to one, by the way, opposites attract and every kite needs an anchor. How's that? <laughs> I think that sums up good marriages right there. That's great. How long was she in practice and what was her oncology practice?
0: She was in practice for about 17 years and in general oncology in Auburn, Alabama. And when we first came to Auburn, she was working for for a small practice and then the hospital invited her to come over to in essence build a oncology organization, a cancer center. so and there's nothing entrepreneurial about my wife. She wants to see patients and she wants to be the very best doctor that she can and just a prolific educator. but they had the resources around her to kind of get the practice up and running. She just had to work harder than what. Traditional oncologists would have to. But that was just the who my wife was. She just answered a bell whenever she had to answer the bell.
1: I mean, it just sounds like it would have been or was incredibly rewarding to be able to build infrastructure where there was none than stepping into something where there may already be do of the bureaucracy and cholesterol.
0: Uh, my wife would disagree there. She the reason why she was on this earth was to see patients. I mean, she just wanted to help them through their journey, and and she's just a, a unique bird. She doesn't get into the numbers as far as her what her commission rate is and how she makes money and all of these other things. She'd always ask for somebody else to figure it out. She wanted. She looked at like a, of every X-ray, for instance, through radiology as a part of. What she did on a morning basis, so she would always get the report from radiology of that last patient, but she's gonna go down and put her own eyes on it and talk to them about every single one and um, she did the same with her own medicine you know when it came her time because of the energy and effort that she put into her her patients, she made no room for anything else in the the business space and I really think that's why her patients loved her, obviously as much as she, they did, but her staff loved her equally as much.
1: It sounds like a, a, an incredible purity to her belief in Hippocrates and helping back, give back.
0: Real salt of the earth, and there's no other way to describe her. As I said, said that, talked about that. You know, during her funeral, she, um, you know, there, there's just nobody like her. I'll, I'll be lucky enough to live in her basement in heaven you know when when she was on hospice for the last 17 days we we just had a lot of candid conversations and most of it was quite warm but she's she's a, a true one of a kind
1: i i read something you wrote about it's it's diff, there's so much information today that how can patients know everything that they need to know and that the deliverer of those messages is always the doctor and The doctors don't always have, you know, maybe I'll call it congenital empathy (laughs) based inside them or even the time to spend. I was fortunate that my oncologist was a human being who saw me as who I was, spent the time. In fact, he was Orthodox Jewish and met me on like Shabbos to talk to me about my care in the 1990s. You know, we Mm -hmm. call that person a mensch. Your wife was a mensch. And- (laughs) I can only imagine the stressors on someone who actually does want to spend that time and be a human being to these patients against the potential backdrop of having to see more people than they'd like to have to see.
0: Mm -hmm. The way you said that, I even got literal goosebumps and I'm I'm smiling from ear to ear because that's what she lived for. That's what she wanted in in many ways, I'd say, on her tombstone. She, my wife spelled love, T T I M E, And what she did for her patients is what created her very ethos to, to do what she did. She, she set on her alarm every morning for 3.45 in the morning. She got up at 3.45 every morning. And she, in many cases, would not get home until 7 or 8 o'clock. Um, she had a zero box entry. injury. A zero box email thing going on, and every patient had her email. For instance, so she's not going home until her patient's questions were answered.
1: Yeah, that that's again, like that's what everyone hopes is on the receiving end of "Please help me" when you enter the uh, you know uh, the the cancer store, so to right. speak. That no one wants to enter. You mentioned, you know, obviously, as an oncologist, she is probably inherently familiar with every single aspect of what she was dealing with, did she herself have her own oncologist?
0: She did. She sure did. And he, he helped in a, in a very beautiful way. Um, we looked at going elsewhere and she wanted to be treated local because she always wanted what was best for her patients. And if she's going to recommend her patients to stay local, she was staying local. And we had one complication after another um, due to the nature of, of stomach cancer. Um, You know, she had three quarters of her stomach removed and the complications led from kidney failure, liver failure, and some other things. And trying to stay ahead of the complications for us was the hardest thing. We had 11 admissions into the hospital over the 10-month period from diagnosis to hospice.
1: Was she able to self-diagnose, or I mean, I, I have many friends that are doctors that desperately try not to self-diagnose. They want to go mm-hmm. see other people because there's probably inherent bias in that. H- how did this manifest? She did self-diagnosis,
0: and she just knew early on, and she had some pain in her stomach that she couldn't get rid of. And being Korean, stomach cancer is is kind of prominent. Not her in her family history but in koreans in general and she started ruling out different things with different tests and i really was never concerned that there's always been something in me where i knew i was going to die early and my wife and i had always talked about that and i knew that i was dying early i'm quite familiar with the stats with stomach cancer and that's that's not the, the cancer you want and even when it got down to it was either Stomach cancer or one other thing, I really thought it was that one other thing. And it wasn't. She, she got a phone call from the doctor and said, hey, it's, it's what you thought it was. And um, on top of that, we found out she had retroperitoneal fibrosis, which we did not know about. Um, they, they opened her up on the operating table to remove her stomach, and all of her organs were stuck together. And the surgeon at the time, amazing guy, he thought it was all cancer that had everything matted inside of her her cavity. And he pulled me in the side room and asked me, which organs do you want me to take out?
1: He asked and you that
0: question? He sure did. Yeah. He uh, he goes, he, he was talking to me in. he was talking in more general terms, like, hey, what do you want me to do? I was like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, every everything's stuck together due to cancer. and. It affects this liver, this part of the kidney, this whole kidney, this part of the liver. And I had to stop him and go, wait a minute. Are are you saying that my wife is on the surgery table right now and you stepped out of surgery to come have a conversation with me? And you want me to make a decision on her behalf? He goes, yeah. So I had to piece that conversation back together. And um, I called my, my wife's godparents who happened to be in medicine and And thank goodness I did because I'm, I wasn't looking to make that decision on my own. It, it turns out that it was not cancer of that had everything matted together inside of her organ system and inside of her, her, her her stomach cavity. It was that retroperitoneal fibrosis.
1: I mean, those are not dice you want to roll on your own. That that's, I've never heard that before. That's an incredible story.
0: Unfortunate story. Yeah. It's incredible. is probably the right word. I'm, I'm still, I've only actually talked about this two other times, so it's still quite raw. And, um, the, the feeling of, of helplessness, which is what every patient feels. And I would say, especially the caregivers have to, to go through because, you know, there's folks out there that just don't give up. And that's how I've always been. And you're, you, when you fight tooth and nail and you don't, don't get the outcome that that you know you're going to get through grit and tenacity. You that there's a lot of wrangling with with all of that.
1: Yeah, the language of medicine adjectives can also be an interesting interpretation of the uh, of, of the, the scenario. You know, I say incredible because I've just been listening to these stories and doing this for 25 years, and you know, e- everything is extraordinary in its own unique way. And we look at the language of medicine too. I mean, your, your, your wife would know this. I had brain cancer and the doctor was like, it's a very elegant tumor. I was like, what are you an elegant an tumor elegant tumor? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Exactly. Yeah. I I had stepped out of that room
0: and to call the godparents. And so I was in like the patient waiting area, you know, where, just wherever everybody stands around and I didn't realize that a lot of people were a part of that conversation and they wanted to come over and console me afterwards after hearing, I, I I just didn't, that part of it, I still haven't even pieced together, but running through that and time is not on your side in a whole new way now. It, it, it's it's
1: quite, um, quite the experience. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with Kermit Farmer.
0: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: All right, we're back with Kermit. Do you feel that bereavement, you know, widows and widowers um, don't get enough recognition or support? Is it an island that needs more people on it to... Hands with,
0: I think it's an island that only those that have been through it have that perspective, and the the adversity that each one of us go through is so unique to us. And like I, I have valued um, feedback from those that that have lost someone, for instance, and but those that have not been on the same journey offering a feedback or offering guidance or solutions, the feedback hasn't um, really connected with me. If I were to write a book and I've I've thought about writing a children's book, for instance, I I would say that there is no elevator to healing and you have to take the stairs and individuals have to go through the journey and it's work and it's time and um, how to do that without getting mad or jaded or, How you're going to take something so horrible and turn it into something beautiful is where I've been. And I've wondered if others have have been there. But I I just
1: want to repeat that. That was absolutely poetic. There's no elevator to healing. We all have to take the stairs.
0: And mentioning that there's no elevator and you have to take the stairs— and I, what I see in that children's book is different people offering different types of advice to that kid that's going up the stairs that has to get to this top. And this is like a, a Sears Tower kind of thing. And there's really good advice and there's a good bit of really bad advice. And the individual has to synthesize all of that.
1: It also speaks to like human instinct to want to be empathetic. And it's hard for people to know what to say in those moments. I'm so sorry, but you look great, you poor thing. You know, anything I can do. They're not platitudes. They're very authentic. But how would you know how to respond to these people? There really isn't nothing anything they can do. You know, bring over a casserole. No, just them asking you is is nice enough.
0: If I were to to change anything that the the common person asks somebody who's grieving— is don't ask the question, how are you? Mm -hmm. Because it immediately goes to the individual having to work a whole lot. How am I today? How am I this week? How am I over the last six months since breakfast? So the, the more specific questions an individual can ask, such as, how are you today? Or what are you looking forward to next week? Or what's been the hardest part of this last week? The individual doesn't have to burn calories to answer that because you're already weighted with all this emotional tax. And I've talked to a lot of folks when they ask just, how are you? I was like, let's free- for phrase that. Let me give you a whole yeah. bunch of scenarios. And you choose the one that's best for you? And I'll be happy to, to parse that one.
1: Yeah, this is kind of where small talk goes to die. And you really want to help and again, it's, again, it's, it's so hard to, to educate people on knowing what to say in these moments, because it's, they're not doing it with any malevolent intent. They genuinely care. But you're right, like how do you change that conversation? You know, how are you?" is just so, you know, how do you think I am? You don't want to respond yeah. hostily. Yeah. And I don't want to come across jaded.
0: Like sometimes I'm quite angry over the situation. On other days, I I got the chance to spend 19 years of my life with, and was really close to somebody that nobody ever had that opportunity to get to know her the way I know her, right? And I'm quite thankful for that. And but it's it's always a whirlwind of emotions, and it, it never feels good when somebody asks how you're doing, and you just give the answer fine because it's it's a lie, and the other person knows it's a lie, right? So you you need. We need to ask better questions of those breathing so you can bifurcate that conversation and just don't make those individuals burn more calories than they already have to. Kermit, what was your wife's name?
1: Linda. It's a beautiful name.
0: My wife came to the U.S. when she was 15 from South Korea. She's going through immigration and they asked her, what do you want your American name to be? And she's like, what? And they had to write it down because she couldn't understand it. And her name is Hyosin, by the way, H-Y-O-S-E-O-N. And um, she asked her mom, what was the name of Wonder Woman, like the real name of Wonder Woman? And she went Linda Carter. So she said, Linda. That's how she got to be Linda, Dr. Linda Farmer.
1: That's incredible. How did you meet?
0: We met walking our dogs in Birmingham. She was doing her fellowship in oncology at UAB, and I was working at a NASA, managing a NASA affiliate called Challenger Learning Center. And um, we both loved dogs, and her, dogs, her dog was rambunctious and mine wasn't. So we traded leashes, and um, she invited me to a broad Broadway show, excuse me, and the rest was history
1: a beautiful story it's a beautiful story you know we look at without sounding like a cat poster like how do you convert your pain to purpose and most people aren't born with like a a fire in their belly to change things unless they've been affected by it because no one expects these things to happen can you share with us what you're doing these days sure and for me
0: this is this is actually quite easy. Um, and it's not a, it's not a burden that I have. It's, I, I, I'm going to continue my wife's legacy of being a prolific educator. She did one hell of a job and she never had the tools that she needed to execute. And I'm going to build those tools and it's going to make the doctors, the other doctors after her for, I would like to think many, many years, to have a much easier experience in disseminating and communicating diseases and conditions of where they are in their journey, what they're going through, and what to expect next.
1: So you're the founder of a company called Paths, is that correct? Village Creed, I read as well.
0: Um, it's yeah, it's two different things, and okay. we have a company called Paths, and the focus of Paths is called Care Paths. Care Paths is for the medical community. And it's helping doctors to pull together any combination of of videos, documents, audio files, um, creatable forms, webinars like support groups, um, and more. So you can give them a series of steps in in an order that makes sense to help the patient along the journey.
1: And how is it being received?
0: Uh, quite well. The the first doctor, she has to be a part of the board of our company. And she she really thinks we're going to move mountains with this thing. And we have four other healthcare entities that we're onboarding. And I love the feedback. I, I, we know the code can be better, but uh, we don't have a shortage of talent to build the code to do the very things that we need to do. So I'd like to say we have 99 problems, but the code itself isn't
1: one. <laughs> fantastic. You know, there are so many holes in the dam to plug. What would you say are like the top two or three for you?
0: Helping doctors to adhere to the very reason and purpose that they went into medicine, which is the Hippocratic Oath. Doctors, people go into medicine to learn the very best of what they can and, and all things medicine, and they want to take and convey that. The second tenant is to take and convey that and make the patient the very first priority. And I would argue that's gotten lost over the last 20-something years. And we can do better.
1: Do you have um, thoughts on the reasons for that loss? Is it more the like the institutionalization of health systems and the burden of meeting your numbers every week?
0: Uh, I think administrators and but there's lots of things that are going to get in the way. You know, everything from drug companies to insurance to everything else. I don't feel like I'm smart enough to answer all of those things. I, I do think I can improve the relationship between doctors and patients. So I'm, I kind of have tunnel vision in that space. And I, I think if, if doctors are are better equipping their patients, that they're going to be much happier with their outputs and, and when they get home from work every day.
1: Yeah. And again, again I was reading some of your work and, um, you know, I was diagnosed a billion years ago when there was nothing and now there's too much, but too much is a good problem to have. The question then is, how do you get the right things into the brains and the practices of the doctors? where are they getting their information from yes let's say they do have congenital hip hippoc- let's say they do have congenital inside them right it, it's incredibly overwhelming
0: it is and not everybody know, knows to go to the national comprehensive cancer network right here is all the best practices and where they are and and, and what the, the doctors need to be communicating and, and the standards they need to be treating by there's so much misinformation out in out on the web now, and you, it's really hard to get that appointment with your doctor or the next appointment with your doctor, or you have to have the test before you get the appointment and you have to have insurance first. People who are hungry for information, they're going to go find that information themselves. And they're going to get on the internet. And my wife and many, many other doctors have to fight misinformation prior to even talking about the information that they want to share in the clinic setting so if you have a 20 minute time frame which is a lot because my wife would spend 40 minutes or so but um you 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 have to debunk the myths that are out there and then you have to guide them and when you do guide them you do it orally and in in today's age i i actually find it unacceptable we get information from the, our medical teams in most cases just through talking to one another. And it's, it's no different than how we got information when that guy sat on the side of the mountain and he, he you know, the Sermon on the Mountain stuff. What, nothing has changed in 2,000 years in medicine when it comes to the doctor and patient engagement and how we disseminate and communicate information. And we have had far too much innovation in healthcare for us to have the same vehicle or lack thereof in when it comes to here's how we're going to prepare the patient and here's how we're going to measure and track and guide their journey.
1: All right, one last question before we go. I, I, I've I've seen this trend where it's it's too easy to blame the doctors. When they themselves are struggling to practice Hippocrates against the backdrop of all the cholesterol you just you cited that gets in the way of what they really want and need to do for those patients, what would you say to people in terms of helping them appreciate having an empathy for those doctors who are under so much stress? And the narrative today is all about burnout, this physician suicide. It's a terrible situation in many cases.
0: Yeah terrible and for some it leads to overwhelming stress and it and it ends up taking their life i I would ask for them to put themselves in the doctor's shoes and say what would you do with, with a rising population that we have and fewer people going into medicine and you having to see more and more patients because patients have to be seen something has to give and one of the things that's given is time so what are we going to do? How can we expand the time with the doctor at home so you can go home with all these videos and, and, and material that the doctor has curated for you that they have in their repository, like a library? This is everything that I want you to know about this particular type of breast cancer. I can't tell you the times. My wife has, has laid on my, on my lap at home, and she told me about a patient that she was wrapping up with, and she said, at the very end, I, I thought we were great. And, and, and she evaluates every patient in, in where they are and how they feel about something. And then she'll be come to the end of a, of a client setting and they ask a question that she can't answer. And it's not that she doesn't have the ability to answer it. it she goes, Kermit, it's, it's a 45-minute answer. And I don't have 45 minutes for one more question. Let's build out ways of taking all of the content that's in the doctor's heads of what they know and put it into a format that they can go home with and say, great, here's a QR code on that thing and scan it right here. And then you're going to have this video document, audio file, whatever that thing is. And you have documentation of who has watched that video and who hasn't, or where you dropped off. So the next time you, you, you go in for your appointment, the doctor knows what it is that you've consumed of their content. The curation isn't the hard part. Heck, just the, the cancer, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network has so much material out there. It's, it's putting those tools into a, a format that the, the patients um, can use. And, the, and I might be talking here too much, but the time for the patients to consume it isn't when they're overwhelmed in the clinic setting. Everybody needs to eat when they're hungry and you need to be at a calmer place to, to go through this type of heavy material. You need your doctor's time and then you need to be able to unpack that and we can do better.
1: I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, advocacy means different things to different people. But for me, it sounds like we agree on the idea that it's to help make a situation less horrible for the next person that walks in your shoes. Yes, and also Kermit. I'll you sleep you may because of that. Yeah. Yes, you may say that there's no elevator to healing, but you're definitely not on the stairs. You're on an escalator, and you are rapidly proving that advocacy does matter. And you're doing an incredible service to your late wife. So I'd like to dedicate this episode to her, Dr. Linda Farmer. Rest in peace. Thank you for your service, and thank you for giving birth to this new opportunity to heal other people kermit farmer man i don't even know how to outro you there's so many things there you're just a decent human salt of the earth genuine i I just want to be your friend (laughs) (laughs) we'll get a beer together we will get that as a date my friend take care of yourself god bless and uh listeners thank you for joining us what a what a humbling extraordinary show thank you very much Out of patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us, and we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit Offscript.com. That's Offscript, no t, dot com.